Well, good morning. Um, sadly, the recording didn't quite work on Sunday, and so here we are in the church office on Monday morning, um, looking uh, at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 9, uh, thinking particularly about what the cross says about how we use our money. Now, an author uh, in 2007 named Oliver James wrote a book called Affluenza. So it wasn't a universally acclaimed publication, but it certainly got people talking. Some loved it, some hated it. And yet his thesis is, within our society, we are infected with the affluenza virus. Now, affluenza is obviously a made-up word. It's made up of uh, affluence and influenza. And and the symptoms of this virus, well, he says it's a spiralling rate of mental illness. He discovered that over a 12-month period, using World Health Organisation figures, nearly a quarter of English speakers in our country suffered with depression. And its reason? Well, Oliver says, not genes. He says you can look at the gene pool over in the rest of mainland Europe, and we're apparently very similar. And yet theirs is half the prevalence of this depression. So it's not genes. But what is the answer? Well, Oliver's answer is materialism. Or as he puts it, the affluenza virus. It's for those people who place a high value on money or possessions or appearances, whether they be social or physical appearances, and and fame. And he says studies in many nations prove that people who strongly subscribe to to these so-called virus values are at a significantly greater risk of depression, of anxiety, of substance abuse, of personality disorder. And in our, our celebrity-obsessed culture, where we get to snoop around their houses in Hello! magazine and follow them live on their blogs and as they tweet, well, no longer is it us simply keeping up with the Joneses. We're keeping up with the Beckhams. And then you add into that the painful economic downturn that, that many of us have affected, have been affected by. And then add to that simply the cost of living in Oxford, which which seem to be London prices, but without London waiting. And, and so money is a, is a thorny topic, and yet it's a very important one. It's not one that we talk about much, but it's a matter that in the Gospels Jesus tackles head-on again and again and again and again. It's striking as you read through. It, it seems to be a matter of real discipleship. I take it what we do with our money speaks volumes about what we value, about the state of our hearts. Which is just why we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians 8 this morning. If you're here as a guest or as a visitor, uh, welcome to you. You've joined us as we're doing something slightly unusual from Alden Road, and we're looking at various topics in the Christian life and thinking about how the cross informs how we live in those areas. So in the first week, you might remember, on the 1st of January, New Year's Day, we spent time in Luke 9, and we thought about what it meant to daily deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. In week 2, we were in Philippians 2, and we were considering how the cross impacts our thinking, our our mindset, what it meant to have the mindset of Jesus, to, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. To humbly serve as he did. To submit to the Father in all things as he did. And last week we were in the world of work. 
whether that be paid work, employment, or whether that just be general everyday tasks, our general everyday subduing the earth. And we consider what it meant that Jesus was our true boss, and how that impacts to those, how we relate to those over us, uh, our managers, our supervisors, and also to those under us, those perhaps that we oversee or those that we delegate to. Now this week we're, we're thinking, as we said, about our attitude to money and to giving. How does the cross shape what I do with the money that I've been entrusted with? Now we'll see in 2 Corinthians 8, I think, that the situation Paul's writing into is quite a narrow and specific one, and yet what I hope will be obvious is that the principles we'll draw out will be wide and they'll be universal. We'll be able to apply them to all kinds of areas of life as we think about money more generally. So, what is this narrow situation in 2 Corinthians that Paul's writing into? Well, it seems to be that he's gathering a collection. And we've not explicit in Corinthians about what this collection is. Uh, but I'm pretty certain it's the same one that we read about in Romans 15. And I think he's collecting for the, for the needy Jerusalem church, the Christians in another town. And despite the size and importance of Jerusalem, and it seems, despite the size and importance of the, town, of the church in Jerusalem, there had been poverty issues from day one. Partly, no doubt, from exclusion and persecution from the Jewish factions in Jerusalem. But also, it seems, from famines. And if you track it through, in 1 Corinthians, it seems there had been an initial flurry of excitement for this collection for Jerusalem. Uh, the Christians had been uh, really up for it, and yet perhaps this had waned. You see that in the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says he'll send a contingent to, to gather and to transport the collection, to make sure it actually turns up. Why? Well, look at 9 verse 3. He says, in order that our boasting about you in this matter, Corinthians, should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Is there a question mark over whether they'll follow through? Or perhaps... So that seems to be the, the narrow and specific situation in a nutshell. Now what do we see are the wider and the more universal principles? Well there might be more but we'll focus in on three. Uh, verses 1 to 4 we'll see generous giving out of extreme poverty. Secondly verses 5 to 7 we'll see generous giving out of authentic discipleship. And then verses 8 to 9 generous giving out of the example of the cross. Okay, so firstly then, focusing on verses 1 to 4, generous giving out of extreme poverty. Now let me read verses 1 to 4 again to us. Follow it with me, but I want you to notice, as I read it, notice the state of the Macedonian churches there that Paul writes of. How does he, how does he describe them? What kind of words does he use? So verse 1, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. Isn't that humbling? These 
These are real people. In verse 2 we see they're in the midst of severe trial and extreme poverty. And what's our reaction? What's our knee-jerk reaction when times are hard? When things are difficult? Well, we tighten the belt. We reduce our giving. We, we batten down the financial hatches. And if we hear the need from others for money, well, well then, I'm sorry, not, not just now. And the letter goes into the recycling. And in Macedonia, you see their rich generosity. In the midst of hardship, even, they gave. And they gave not just as much as they were able, but even beyond their ability. That's not what we expect, is it? We expect for them not to give, because they can't afford it. There was an article at the end of last year that mentioned how, how giving to charities in the UK had gone down in 2011 because of the financial crisis. So the average giving per month is now, apparently, £11 per person per month. That's down from £12 in 2010. That's what we expect to see. That, that doesn't surprise us. The Macedonians do surprise us. And they humble us. And what Paul is doing is saying to the Corinthians, look at them. Look at their giving. Look at their generosity in the midst of extreme poverty. Look at them. Maybe, maybe you object to that tactic. You're doing what teachers do, or at least what they used to do in my day. I remember it being done to me. Now, class, surely you don't want 3A to beat you in the test again, do you? Surely you don't want them to win. Come on, 3B. Put some extra work in. Perhaps you object to that tactic, and, and yet Paul seems to be doing more than that. If you like, the Macedonians weren't the, the sharpest tool in the box. They were smaller, they were poorer, they had undergone persecution. And the Corinthians, on the other hand, at least thought of themselves as being prestigious and educated. They were larger, they were richer. This is not a like-for-like comparison. So Paul's not saying to us, now come on, Morden Road. Look at how generous Woody Road is in North Oxford. He's saying to us, come on, Morden Road. Look at how generous the church in Sudan is. Look at what they give from the little they have. Look, look at their poverty, but look at their lavish hospitality. Look at their kindness, despite their need. Generous giving out of extreme poverty. It's humbling, isn't it? Just by way of application, focus again with me on verse 3. I find this astounding, that they gave beyond their own ability, Paul says. Now, I could be wrong in this, but I, I wonder whether we hardly ever do that. Actually, we give out of our excess. We give, hopefully, but it doesn't really leave us in need. It doesn't really touch our lifestyle. In a church I was at previously, I saw leaders who, for example, forfeited a holiday for that year so that they could give because there was a need. I saw students who forfeited a pint each week, or a CD each month, so they could give, because there was a need. And you know, my worry for me and for us is that we've caught affluenza, and so our giving doesn't really harm us. It doesn't really make a difference to our lifestyle. 
Plus, if you're here as a guest or a visitor, very warm welcome to you. But particularly if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'd like you to proverbially close your ears now. This bit isn't really for you. But if you are a Christian and you are a regular, I'd love to urge you to rethink what this might mean for you. I think each year looking at our lifestyle, looking at our giving, is a great discipline to get into. If you're here and you're new to Morden Road, let me urge you to consider giving to the church regularly. We don't have external funding from a wider body, so what you're giving pays for what we do as a church. It pays for the funding of staff, it pays for everyday running, it pays for the kind of stuff that we can do and put on. It will fund the fulfilling of the gold, bold gospel plan that's that many of you will have heard about as we consider forming more of a hub church so that we can then plant and plant and plant to reach needy areas of Oxford so that we can be a church that multiplies ministry. I'm told by those who know that you can grab a green form that says giving on the front for you to start. And if you already do and you want to to rethink it, perhaps to include it, the best thing to do is simply to contact Andrew Sadler over email with details and they contact your bank to source it. Now, as you said at the start, things, things are tight economically for us in this area, for us in this country. And I recognise that. And so each person will have a different set of circumstances. But do please, please take these verses seriously. Let's look at the poor Macedonian-style churches and let their example challenge my and your Western mindsets. Let them challenge how we give. Perhaps our question though is, well, how do you do that? Where does that kind of generosity come from? Well, second point, verses 5 to 7. Paul talks of generous giving out of authentic discipleship. That is, the Macedonians give money generously because they've given themselves. Have a look at verse 5. Paul writes, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. You see, there's generous giving out of authentic discipleship. They've given themselves to the Lord. I guess take it Paul has expected a more practical response. That is, well, how much do you need? What are your outgoings like each month? How much are we in the red? And yet rather than that, rather than the, the accountant mindset, no offence to any accountants, obviously, they have the mindset of wholehearted devotion. They give themselves to the Lord, and so they give themselves to Paul, and that includes their wallets. I think in Luke 9 language they've denied themselves. They've taken up their cross daily and they've followed Jesus. Someone's put it, this is no frigid act of bureaucratic philanthropy. It's a challenge again, isn't it? It's a challenge because of the ease of setting up standing orders and direct debits and, and we, we should, if we can, but then how easy is it just to almost distance ourselves from our giving? How easy to simply click a button 
and cold-heartedly transfer the money rather than it being actually an outworking of our love for the Lord Jesus. There are, there are other dangers with putting money into a collection box each week, but at least you have to be actively, regularly making that decision and doing something about it. The Macedonians were generous because they gave themselves. And in Corinth, they're a gifted church. Look at verse 7. Paul says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's possibly slightly tongue-in-cheek from Paul, I'm not sure. But his point is, to the Corinthians, look, compared to the Macedonians, you are bursting with gifts. You have the proverbial teaching ministry that's known for miles around. Everyone's downloading your sermons. Everyone's uh, subscribing to your podcasts. You're speaking at all the right conferences. And you've got your writing coming out of your ears on aspects of theology, on aspects of practical living as a Christian. You've got a wisdom and a knowledge, so people just long to tap into your views to know what you think about an issue. What's your take on this? Corinth, you are premiership quality. Now, now make sure you're renowned for giving too, says Paul. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. What would you like Maudlam Road to be famous for? Paul says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not sure it's something we particularly aspire to in our church circles. Of course it's very hard to quantify because we don't know how much people give. We don't do public collections and massive comic relief style award checks. But see that you excel in this grace of giving. Stories told of John Wesley, who as far as I can see did excel in this grace of giving that Story's told at one point where he found he was unable to give to the poor because he had just bought some new pictures for his house. And so it seems that from that time he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give. He records that one year his income was £30 and his living expenses £28, so he gave away £2. The next year, though, his income doubled to £60. But he still lived on £28, and so he gave away £32. And the third year, his income jumped to £90. And instead of letting his expenses rise with his income, he kept them to £28, and he gave away £62. The fourth year, £120. So he gave away £92. I think right the way up to £1,400. And he gave vast amounts away. See that you excel in this grace of giving. Again, I take it your question might be, how? How do I do that? How do I so obviously swim against the culture to not catch affluenza? To not get dragged into the way that the world thinks? Well, look finally with me at the third point, verses 8 to 9. Generous giving out of the example of the cross. When you stand beside the cross, it is hard to be selfish. Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and 
If you're honest, this talk has ticked all your preconceived boxes. Yep. You're thinking, I knew it, that they're just after my money. First thing to say, we're not. Please, please keep your money in your pocket. We don't want it. But the second thing, just have a look at verse 9. Do you see what the foundation is for Christians to give? Have a look at it, verse 9. You see, it's not, it's not give money to God and he'll be happy with you, or, or it'll keep him off your back, or he'll get you what you think you need. It's nothing like that at all. It's God has been so generous with you, that they be generous with others. So follow that through with me, verse 9. First point, Jesus was rich. That is, he was powerful, he was glorious, he was awesome. He lived in the perfect, eternal relationship with the God who made the world. And yet, secondly, he becomes poor. So, number one, he was rich. Number two, he becomes poor. He, he willingly lays down his glory and his majesty and his power. He, he becomes a man. We celebrate that at Christmas. And more than that, at Easter, he, he becomes a man who dies on a cross. The rich man willingly and deliberately becomes poor. Why? Well, third, he says that through his poverty, we might become rich. We're not talking about our, our bank balance or our savings or the stuff that we have. He's talking about so much more than, than that. Than, than, he's talking about real riches, riches that are far more satisfying. Uh, a relationship with the God who made you, the relationship that you were created for, that's real riches. Forgiveness of sins. Cleansing from all the wrong things you've ever done or said or thought. And Jesus' perfect account of obedience to God, credited to us. That's real riches. Jesus, Jesus could have held on to his wealth. But he chooses rather to lose it and to make us rich. Perhaps you've um, never quite got that before. Perhaps you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and that's never quite caught. Let me say that kind of a verse, verse 9, it sits at the very heart of the Christian faith. It would be a great day today for the first time to, to grasp that for yourself. To trust that for yourself. To accept that glorious gift of riches for yourself. If that's you and it's the first time, let me ask you to, to chat to a Christian that you know, perhaps the person who brought you, come and chat to me. It'd be a great day to do that. And yet Paul says for the Christian, God has been so generous with you. And that just is a game changer. That changes everything. Now go and be generous with what he's given you. This is we um, draw to a close. A helpful uh, quotation I found on these verses from a book. Yeah, the writer says this, he says, as, as Paul brings Jesus' salvation into the realm of money and wealth and poverty, he reminds them of the gospel. Paul is saying, think of Jesus' costly grace until you are changed into generous people by the gospel in your hearts. So the solution to stinginess is a reorientation to the generosity of Christ in the gospel, where he poured out his wealth for you. 
Because of the gospel, you don't have to worry about money. The cross proves God's care for you and gives you security. Because of the gospel, you don't have to envy anyone else's money. Jesus' love and salvation confer on you a remarkable status, one that money cannot give you. You see, modern mode foot, for us to get our giving rights, we need to understand who God is and, and what he's done for us. And I think it those who are most aware of the awesome wonder of forgiveness of sins are most likely to give generously. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we look at the extreme poverty of the Macedonians and other Christians around the world, we recognise something of the poverty of our own faith, our lack of generosity. As we look at the authentic discipleship of the Macedonians, we recognise something of the poverty of our own discipleship. As we look at the example of the cross, So again, we recognise something of the poverty of our own example. And yet we thank you that through the Lord Jesus, thank you that through his death in our place, thank you that as he gave up his riches, so those riches become ours, so we are blessed, so we are brought into a relationship with you, so we enjoy forgiveness of sins. And so please, as we grasp that more and more, would you make us generous? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.